backroom politics. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio, another remote edition. The best laid plans of mice and men. Well, the best laid plans. We were hoping to all be together in the same room, but uh, circumstances have dictated otherwise. Greetings from Houston and the Lone Star State of Texas. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, he is the one-star admiral retired from your United States Navy. The Navy folks know him as Kung Fu. We know him as Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, how you doing, sir? Good afternoon. I just want you to know I haven't taken any foreign money in the last uh, 32 years. Oh, well, apparently you're the only flag officer between you and uh, General uh, General Flynn, so you win. Uh, also joining us as he does every Tuesday, he is the former Democratic political operative, Biden political strategist, and bar certified attorney in the great state of Maryland and the District of Columbia. He is the man we know as Dan Littner Esquire. Daniel, hello. Hello, Justin. And we're always together in a room in somebody's heart. Wow. <laughs> on, on that really, really sickening note, I'm going to go to the man. He is the brains in the operation that we know as the long-term Senate staffer, long-term Washington insider, and former Undersecretary of Commerce who's worked for, at last count, four presidents. He is a very distinguished and handsome and apparently patient fellow at the Stimson Center. He is the man that we know as Alan Moore. Alan, how you doing, sir? I'm, I'm here, man. I'm good. Oh, and patient, too. Check your inbox. Anyway, that being said, there is a lot to get to. There is all kinds of stuff going around inside and outside of Washington. Let's start. I mean, we first of all, we're going to cover, we're coming up on, for those who don't know, it is the almost 100-day mark, milestone, in the Trump administration in his first term as President of the United States, Chief Executive. And it's been an interesting 100 days. All kinds of news flowing around. Uh, however, President Trump is going to mark the 100-day anniversary, which also coincides uh, wholeheartedly with the Washington uh, White House Correspondence Dinner that night, which he will not be attending. Instead, he's going to celebrate his 100-day mark at a rally in Pennsylvania. So that being said, let, let's take a look at Trump's first 100 days. We're going to talk about the 100 days on both the domestic front and then on the foreign policy and national security side, which is easily discernible, and you can definitely talk about both sides for an hour each, but we're going to start off, let's start off with the domestic side, because that seems to be the big trouble, the big linchpin in the Trump administration, and for those who don't know, part of it, uh, there is breaking news coming out of Washington, D.C., apparently the House Oversight Committee, headed by outgoing Utah Congressman Jason Chaffetz, and a joint presser with uh, the ranking the ranking member on the Democratic side, uh, Elijah Cummings. Well, Chaffetz and, Cong and Cummings have stated that there is evidence that General, uh, I'm sorry, bleh, General Michael Flynn, former National Security Advisor for all of about two seconds for the Trump administration, who resigned after allegations of inappropriate funding and not notifying the right people of his ties to Russia and Turkey. Uh, did in fact did not in fact 
advised the key people in the administration during a background check for the Republican National Convention. Uh, let me start with you, Admiral Ken. This a lot of a lot of hay has been made out of General Flynn's relationship, and this all stems from a dinner with Russian publicity magnet RT. Uh, the money he accepted for giving a speech at an RT dinner in Moscow. Is, is this a lot of nothing, or is this just is this just politics being politics, and they're going too deep in the weeds? Uh, I'd probably say it's probably 95% something and 5% politics. 95% something in that you're not allowed to uh, go out of the country and um, – uh, speak on behalf of the U.S. or U.S. policy as a uh, as a as a retired uh, military officer without first checking in with a number of people to include the State Department and DOD. Uh, more importantly, the Emoluments Act um, prevents you from taking money uh, if you are a uh, former military officer, um, and especially if you're a flag officer. Apparently, he did both uh, based on. Uh, uh, Congressman Shavitz and Congressman Cummings' comments this afternoon, uh, they could find no record of him sending a note saying, hey, I'm going to go do this, uh, let alone can I have permission to go do this. So I, I think there's something here, and I think it, it only adds to the, the drip, drip that keeps continuing to come out of the White House with regard to the qualifications of the people that uh, they have put into some key positions, uh, not to mention uh, the role that um, members of the family and, and, and others have taken in some of the things that they may be doing with regard to lining their own pockets. So I, I think there's some there there. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see whether General Flynn, uh, who was one of the loudest and most vocal cheerleaders in the uh, locker up, locker up uh, um, chance during the, uh, the, uh, the campaign, will uh, have an opportunity to prevent himself from being locked up. Well, let me go to you, Alan Moore. A lot of this discussion centers around the law called the Foreign Agent Registration Act, or as it's commonly referred to as FARA. Are we seeing a consistent almost mindset or methodology of Flynn knowingly trying to uh, circumvent FARA for political gain? And is this a real problem for the administration? Well, it's not a big problem for the administration because the guy is gone. The guy, the guy uh, was was pretty thoroughly discredited, and and told he was done a mere a couple of weeks into the job. Now, one can wonder how he got the job in the first place. What kind of vetting occurred? Um, but uh, in my mind, that that's now ancient history. With regard to he himself and what kind of exposure and vulnerability he has, um, it is real. I think it's real um, because of his obvious failure to comply with the, the, the FARA Act that you just described. I'm less sure uh, – I mean, I'm pretty confident of that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm less confident that he broke the law by taking the money. As a, as a retired U.S. government servant – I think was not great judgment, but I'm not sure it was illegal. I, I think the emoluments clause has to do with 
uh, actual employees uh, of the government. Nonetheless, it's it's a huge embarrassment to him. It's going to cost him uh, uh, real money uh, for lawyers. And it's not like it's a positive, don't get me wrong, for the administration. Um, they They never should have been in this position, but they fixed it pretty early thanks to how outrageous his behaviors were. Um, and, uh, so I think it's because it's history, it's not, it's, it's, it no longer has the potential to be a big deal. Dan Lipner, do you agree? Is, is, is this just political hooey or is, is this a, is, is this a potential problem for the administration in your mind? And does, does general Flynn see jail time for this? The jail time is hard to tell. Um, it seems, as everyone else has said, it seems pretty clear he did break the law at a minimum on his security clearance paperwork um, and the taking of money. It's also worth noting that RT is not an entirely privately held uh, news uh, vehicle in Russia. It's actually state-sponsored, so that line is a little more direct than it might seem. Um the other problem with the administration on the, on the long term is Trump's parting words for Flynn and his over-the-top statements of how competent he was and how mistreated he was. That's going to stick around for a while. And let's not forget the whole Russia issue and President Trump himself are still an issue. So, I mean – this could be one of those Different things issue. that just run, runs you down the stream and leads you to, to, to the bigger river of problems, but that's still to be seen. Alan Moore, what was your comment? Yeah, let's, let's not confuse the, the, the problems of a former short-time employee, Admiral Flynn, and the Russia problem. That continues to be a problem. But to they're be two clear, different problems. Yeah, that'd be General Flynn. The good guys are called Admiral. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> General. I General stand Flynn. corrected, and that's an important, important correction. And I appreciate that. And and I uh, and I meant no disrespect at all. Uh, in in my mistake, it was just a mistake. Yes, the general. Um, yeah. The general has got his problems. The general is no more. The fact that President Trump complimented him after the fact was just kind of bizarre Donald Trumpian behavior. You fire the guy and then say, but man, what a great guy who is unfairly treated. Um, it, it's uh, Dan hopes that that will continue to plague the president, but I say good luck with Alan. It's a matter of how campaign politics work. Put those pictures of them together out at every second they can. It's not as though this stuff disappears. I mean, it happens to Democrats all the time, Uh, people they've shaken hands with. And I promise you, everyone on this show and everyone listening has seen that god-awful hug between Clinton and Monica Lewinsky a zillion different times. You think maybe Flynn could those pictures might come out too? Dan, I love your I love your analogies. <laughs> he had the guy. He worked with the guy. He hired the guy. He fired the guy. <laughs> well, let me go to Admiral Ken. Admiral Ken, you know, going off of what Alan was saying, is does this 
prove to be a possible judgment issue? I mean, could the problem with General Flynn be construed as a problem in judgment in vetting those that they are putting in senior official positions? I think the only way you could you could put any kind of legitimacy behind that kind of a, that kind of a claim or criticism would be that if General Flynn um, had uh, let's say he had created one version of his SF 86 form and then someone in the administration said no no don't put that on there you know move that stuff off or if um, perhaps um, they they knew that it existed before he put it on and ignored it. I, one, I don't think you could ever prove that. Two, I don't think that I don't think it's true. Uh, you know, the, the the problem you know here is that um, someone who was applying for a classified role in the federal government was not honest with the people who had to do the receipt of that form and the adjudication of that form. And to that end, he's in trouble. Uh, I don't think he's any more uh, the president or his the president's staff. Is any more guilty of bad judgment um, than than is uh, half a dozen agencies who basically process people by mistake, giving them interim clearances, and then finding out, whoop, nope, 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 that person's got to go. I mean, it happens all the time. It's just part of how the federal government works. Right. In the case of, in, in the case of General Flynn, Flynn um, um, there was uh, there was a gentleman on CNN this afternoon who had worked for him, who was a uh, a long time. Um, I guess, source at CNN, uh, CNN that came on to talk about the fact that General Flynn, when he was in uniform, was a brilliant tactician. Uh, he worked really, really well with uh, the, uh, the special operations forces. Uh, however, uh, having a strategic view of his role and the role of the U.S. in knowing the long game, uh, in this person's uh, view, General Flynn was not that guy. People like Colin Powell um, uh, basically did a much better job of filling that role. Well, that's that guy's opinion, and but for whatever reason, the president of the United States saw enough there to want to make this guy his uh, national security advisor. This gentleman filled out his form incorrectly uh, and, 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 uh, and doubled down on that by not being honest with the vice president of the United States, putting the VP in a bad spot, and here we are. Uh, again, right. I, think it's, I think it's ironic that the guy that was screaming, lock her up, lock her up, the loudest, is now you know, going to be you know, possibly – the victim of the same kind of chance against him. Right. Well, let, let, let's, obviously this is still a developing story. We're going to keep an eye on it and it'll probably come up. Yeah. Let me, the- let me add one more thing if I might. Yeah. Go ahead, Alan. It, yeah. It, it, remember that the thing that brought Flynn down was the fact that he had conversations with the Russian ambassador that he lied to the vice president of the United States about and didn't clear up the lie uh, until a couple of weeks had passed. Now that was the thing that finished him. This other stuff is not insignificant. No, 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 it's no, no, not no. Trivial. I can't you're he's, he's, out he, hang on, hang on, hang on. That, that was ultimately what, what brought him down. What we don't know and we do need to remind ourselves, is what else General Flynn knows. He offered to testify, appear before Committee of Congress, if he would be granted immunity in advance. The whole suggestion of that is, I know some stuff. i got to protect myself. 
but you really want to hear from me. He may know things that could be extremely embarrassing to the president. I don't think his current behavior is particularly embarrassing to the president, but except that it's just a lingering reminder of how close they were for a period of time. But what's much more important is what Flynn might know and might be prepared to say that could be significantly more damaging to the president. I don't know that he knows anything, but I'm simply reminding everybody that that is the point that I think that the, that, that, that could be the greatest vulnerability if there's something there. And I don't know. Right. Well, listen, we're going to, but this well, is the, the element that, wait, the element that was left out, and this is an important one for the larger narrative as well. Everything Alan said is correct. However, the, the one intervening act that made the whole thing explode is there was a leak that came out from the Justice Department saying that Flynn was vulnerable and that was eventually printed in the press, and then it spiraled out of control. The Absolutely. lie to the vice president and all that, while those all occurred, he didn't actually lose his job until it broke in the media. This wasn't a quiet walk out that, from the White House to try and brush it under the rug. It was, this was their response to leaks that occurred, which is why the black and white issue of leaks is not always as clear as pe- people might like to think. I'm quite certain Flynn would still be in that job today had that leak not happened. Well, oh, well, 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 now let's be careful here, Dan. Let's be careful. <laughs> yeah. First of all, first of all, let, we're going to, we got so much we got to get to. So I'm going to have to keep moving on this. In fact, we're going to bust through the breaks here. But uh, this is obviously a developing story. We're going to keep an eye on it. This will definitely come up in future shows. So obviously this is going to be on our radar for a little bit. That being said, let's talk about President Trump's domestic first 100 days. And I want to go around the horn, first of all, and ask, looking at all things domestic in the administration and President Trump's 100 days, what grade would you give Trump and the Trump administration. Dan, I'll give you. I'll go. I'll start with you. A quadruple bogey, basically, men of time he spent on the golf course. <laughs> Do you follow instructions, Dan? What grade would you give them, dude? I'm not looking for a scorecard. Eh, six of one, half dozen the other. Ken <laughs> uh, <and> Caradine. <laughs> What, what grade is, would you give the Trump Dan, administration? Dan is, Dan is exactly why I went to the Naval Academy instead of a liberal arts college. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to give him. I'd have to give him a C. A um, C. A, a C. Yeah. Wow. Why? Well, so one, while he was unable to um, uh, basically uh, pull back and, and replace Obamacare. Uh, while he was unable to get his uh, his, his Muslim ban, uh, immigration ban in place, um, while uh, he was unable, he was while well, he basically had a hand in destroying any chance of bipartisanship on the part of the Senate for future um, uh, Supreme Court nominations in the in the in the in the noble future. Uh, on the other hand, he was able to uh, get rid of a lot of Obama era. Uh, regulations. Um, he you know, he did get Judge Gorsuch um, uh, confirmed, 
Um, and uh, as far as I know, we're, we're, we haven't uh, started we haven't started World War III with the, the Russians, the North Koreans, or the Iranians yet. Well, we're we're talking about just the domestic side of the house. We'll talk in the next segment the foreign and national security okay, side. Okay, C minus. There you go. C minus. Okay. Uh, Alan Moore, what, what would you give the president's first hundred days on the domestic agenda? You know, I'm not going to play this game. I'm going to be like Dan. I'm just I'm 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 not willing to quantify. It's just too simple-minded a uh, a notion, and the timing's oh. wrong. He's done some stuff Doesn't well. He's done some stuff poorly. I'm not giving him a grade. You're not going to give him a grade. You're going to give him an incomplete. I'm giving him an incomplete. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, the, the correct answer here is I agree with Ken Carradine. It is it, it definitely a C minus. And, and, and here's the thing is, let's go down and look at it. Uh, when you look at the domestic agenda, where has – the administration either lost its way or found its shining path. I'll start with you, Alan. I, I see, you know, you're throwing these questions out that I just, I just resist the question found Why? its way or, you know, or lost its way or found the shining path. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not buying the construct of the question. They clearly made strategic mistakes uh, on health care um, in terms of how they how they carried it out. They clearly made mistakes on the on the the uh, the immigration executive order. Um, and in both cases, I think they've learned from that. That doesn't mean they're on the shining path. Um, the, the the president did a really interesting interview this week uh, with uh, with the Associated Press, and the fact checkers were all over it saying, "Well, this is wrong and that's wrong." But if you look at the the interview, what I found interesting was how much he kind of acknowledged <laughs> how much he didn't know and how complicated it all is, and how big and huge and important. And he and he and he uh, he he contrasted it with the business world where you're basically not having to worry about human beings, about life and death, about feelings in the same way you do with government. I found that, you know, on the one hand, it's like, Oh my God, he's just learned that now. But I also had to acknowledge that he's learning that the man is learning. That's why I, that's why I'm not going to give him a grade. He's, he's got, you know, he's failed a bunch of quizzes, but the grades are coming, the, uh, and we'll see. And in, the, in, in foreign affairs, I think he's done pretty well, So, well, which doesn't talk, mean he always will. Well, we're going to talk about that in the next segment. But as far as the domestic agenda here, and, and I'll go to Admiral Ken, you know, we, where we have seen some – Not as though I'd like to chime in on that as you round the horn. <laughs> we, what, no, you'll, 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 we'll get to you, Dan. We'll get to you. <laughs> You'll have your moment. You'll have your moment on the mic. But Admiral, he wants to make it a triple bogey instead of a quad. <laughs> Admiral Ken, when we look at the domestic agenda, do you do you buy into Alan's premise that in fact that this is a broad learning curve for the president, and that you know when when the day is done, once he re, you know the fact that he realizes he doesn't know what he doesn't know that this is kind of an epiphany for the president and he, we may see a different Trump in the next hundred days. Well, I, I, I agree with Alan somewhat that he is learning. I, I think that 
my expectation would be that he would be learning. Anyone who's ever been in charge of an organization, um, you, you walk in with a certain set of assumptions, and some of them are found out very quickly to be true, and some of them quickly found out to be not true. And with a little luck, with a little luck, the ones that you find out that are not true, you will not have caused grievous harm in the in, in the in, 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 in dismemberment in the process. So my expectation would be that he would be learning. That said, my expectation also is that uh, coming into a role like that one, arguably the most difficult job um, in, the, in, in the world, if not one of the most difficult jobs in the world, um, my expectation would be that they know more. His predecessors knew more, and he, I, you, know, it, 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 you know, at every turn has dismissed uh, his predecessors by, uh, you know, for, for not being nearly as smart or as wicked as he is because he's, he's from the outside. Well, the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, he is from the outside. And unlike Alan, I'm not willing to shave any points because he's learning. My expectation is you're going to hit the ground running, that you're in a very, very difficult situation. And, and, and I'm sorry, but in, in, in my career, you know, I didn't get any points shaved when I came into a new organization in charge. You know, my ex- expectation was you were going to perform from, from, the, from, the, from, the, from the first day, and things were going to get better from there. From my perspective, he has not performed from the first day. Things aren't getting better, but you know what? He didn't have much room to go down. Well, I mean, Dan Lipner, the, you've heard the uh, side from the GOP. What's your take on that? I'm actually with Admiral Ken on this. Um, the fact that he's learning, yeah, that's a positive, but it's far from being a fast learner. And the bigger concern is everyone else that's around him, he, he hasn't seen the value in expertise absent a couple of cabinet choices, uh, most notably uh, Secretary Mattis. The fact that he is, he is learning on the job but seems so genuinely surprised and doesn't seem to have anything going forward as far as what determines a philosophy, a theory, that when the White House does something, it signals stuff to the rest of the world. That's still mass confusion as far as the rest of the world is concerned and what U.S. Pol- foreign policy is. And this White House is slowly picking it up. But I mean, even with last week, the misplaced aircraft carrier incident, um, more verbal, I'm quite certain the Navy knew where, where it was going. And it's just the White House communication staff didn't. That kind of thing begins to matter in some pretty serious situations. Alan Moore, is, is this like uh, Dan says, a, is, is there a serious credibility issue between the White House and the voting public or the White House and Congress? Is, is this a real problem? Well, it's a problem when you win an election um, with uh, whatever he had, 46% of the vote. And it's a problem when a uh, hundred days out, you have not moved the needle. It's declined slightly in terms of your approval, uh, and and he's you know people love to compare his approval disapproval uh, numbers to to prior presidents, 
Um, I, I find that, you know, kind of uh, factually interesting, but, but, but relevant only to the extent that it greatly limits what he's able to do. Um, and all notwithstanding the fact that the Republicans uh, control both houses of Congress, uh, they don't have 60 votes in the Senate, so you, you, you sort of create certain expectations of people who don't understand how the system works, and suddenly it's really hard to get legislation done. Well, m- most people who run for office know that all coming in. Um, he's still learning that, and some of the people around him uh, are still learning that. The question is, when you make mistakes, you make miscalculations regarding that, do you do so much permanent damage to yourself that you can't recover? Or do people say, well, okay, um, he's not off to a great start. No question about that. Where's he going to be two, three months from now? Is it, How fast is he going to learn? Is he going to learn? Are his people going to learn? Is, 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 are the Democrats going to be willing to work, uh, uh, work with him and the Republicans on stuff that really matters. Um, we're going to see a, a, one example just this week. Are we going to keep government going after Friday? And, you know, there's uh, – I'm confident we'll keep the government running past Friday. Uh, I think we'll probably keep it running till the end of the fiscal year, at the end of September. But I feel quite certain that we won't shut down this Friday, that if they don't have an agreement – that they'll add a week. They'll add a week. They 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 won't won't shut things down. And the president seems to be showing some flexibility now. After he showed some resistance just last week about some things he was going to insist on in this spending bill, like a down payment on the uh, on the board, the so-called border wall, which uh, the Democrats aren't inclined to 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 give him, and and uh, they seem united in that fact. So. He has said, look, I don't need that money right now. We can wait until the fall. So he's hearing different voices, and that that is certainly disappointing to some of his friends who say, fine, shut down the government. Um, Even as national support for uh, a wall, per se, at the border seems to be in decline. Um, You know, the guy... (laughs) The guy, the, the, the guy thinks he knows more than he knows. That's always dangerous. He has this horrible tendency to exaggerate and talk about the greatest hundred days ever uh, in one breath and the next day say, you know, what's a hundred days? What's the importance of that? Um, he's at, at his heart. He's a salesman and that helped him get elected and is not help him govern uh, is not helping him govern, but he is learning. Yeah, but here, here's the here's the question, Admiral Ken is. But wait, wait. Does but, the Amer- can I follow up on that real quick? Well, hold on, Dan. <laughs> hold, hold on, Dan. Let me just go to Admiral. Uh, yeah, go ahead. All right. I I, I put you in the corner no, last I mean, time. Go I mean, ahead, this, this is more Alan's uh, uh, area of expertise. The fact that the White House this week, yeah, keeping the government open, I'm thinking it's likely to happen as well. However, that's not the only thing the White House has said it wants to do this week. It said it wants to get health care reform done in yet another week, having seen nothing of of the the new plan out there and tax reform. I mean, this is not evidence of somebody who's learning quickly. 
Well, well, let's let's at least talk about what they're actually asking for. They're not asking for tax reform this week. They're saying we're going to have an announcement on the principles we're going to seek in tax reform on Wednesday. We'll see if that happens. That's a far cry from saying we got to get this done. And in terms of health care, I think that everyone knows, including the White House, that the 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 dominoes are not in place to make that happen this week. It's not the top priority for this week. So, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say I agree with everything he said about it, but at the, you know, that's the one of the problems he says stuff and there's this automatic knee jerk. Well, that'll never happen. Never mind, And kind of forgive him for saying things that most of us know cannot and will not happen. Okay, but Alan, let me let me jump in real quick because you know I, I understand what you're saying that you know they'll have some sort of blueprint for tax reform by Wednesday, that they're going to have the strategy for healthcare by the end of the week. Uh, that's Maybe. not the message that the American public is hearing. And if you look at if you look at the poll numbers, if you look at the messaging on various media outlets, the message that is being portrayed, whether it's right or wrong, both administration and supporters in Congress is, yeah, we're moving forward with tax reform. Tax reform is on the plate for this week. The American electorate is sitting there saying, wait a minute, I want to see tax reform. Where's the bill? It, it, it just seems to me that there's a huge gap between the rhetoric that comes out of the White House and is fed to the general electorate and what they're saying internally and what actually comes out in the end. I don't think, and, I, and, and, Sec- and Treasury Secretary uh, Mnuchin has said, there's no way we could get tax reform done by the end of the week. But that's not the message coming out of the White House. There's no, no, way. no, no, no. You cannot say the White House is saying we're going to get tax reform done by this week. You, no I one is saying that. Alan, I guarantee that if you went to middle America right now and you asked I, anybody. and you, I don't want anybody, it. You're telling me what the White House is saying. But that, 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 You're no, telling right, me that the White House is saying that. And it's not saying that. So no. you can't go beyond that, right? No, what I said, what I said was, Alan is that the impression, the, 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 the words coming out of the White House say something different than what the reality is. And that's been a problem with this White House since day one. That has been a problem. Is that, is that inaccurate? Well, you, you, that's a bait and switch. You're saying well, they're doing that on tax reform. I say they're not doing that on tax reform. I'm not saying they've never done that. But they're not doing it on tax reform. I mean, they are. He what he has said is we're gonna we're gonna announce something on Wednesday, and that's increasingly looking like a set of principles. The only detail of which is known is that it's going to include a a top corporate rate of fifteen percent. Um, I don't think the American public thinks that tax reform is going to happen this week, or that the president has said it was going to happen this week, or that anybody thinks it could happen this week. And, and the same thing with the health care bill? Health care, he thought that they would have it, that they had a deal a week ago and that that the the moderate, the so-called moderates 
and the so and the and the Freedom Caucus uh, group of conservatives had come together. Well, he was he was given bad information because one representative of the so-called Tuesday group, who's a, a so-called moderate, and the head of the Freedom Caucus had apparently come together on some principles and thought, hey, I think we got this thing. That word got to the president. He tends to operate more in headlines uh, and sound bites, unfortunately, than in in uh, in longer detailed pieces. This is a, something that he's having to learn, hopefully will. Um, so he jumps on it and thinks, hey, we got this. How cool. How great. We're going to we're going to. Uh, uh, we 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 got everybody together. Let's just go have a vote. Well, sorry, we need legislative language. We need CBO. Oh, and we need buy-in from other members of the Tuesday group and from the from the so-called Freedom Caucus. We're not there yet. Wouldn't so, CNN? Yes, I would say he overstated the case on that, but not on tax reform. Uh, I disagree with you on that one. Dan Lepner, take this. I I think I'm with you and I'm with you there. I think he's overstated. I think he's suggested things that just aren't so. I'm just hoping that he's reasonable enough to be able to keep the government open. And even though it's worth noting, he has suggested um, holding the government hostage and blaming that on the Democrats would be for his political gain. He said that out loud. Um, so who knows what's coming? And we've got to remind ourselves we got to remind ourselves also that, you know, this is a man that got elected saying that Mexico is going to pay for the border wall. And now all of a sudden he's changed that message and that message going forward. And now it's the idea. Now, I'm not saying the administration has he's the openly the president's. What's that? Joey Suzu, the ad campaign from the 80s. Uh, yeah. Basically, every time he's speaking, he's lying. Admiral Ken, the thing about it is we're continuing to see on the domestic policy front missteps by the administration, miscommunication by the administration, and it ends up coming to bite them in the rear end. Can this administration continue to survive with depleting poll numbers and credibility problems with the American electorate at the same time? They're fighting their own in the legis- in the uh, in Congress, and there's an ongoing war with the media. Uh, I'm going to give you a Bill Clinton kind of answer. It depends on what your definition of survive is. Okay, so one, I think none of this really is that uh, surprising when you think about the fact that that, that, that President Trump um, lives and dies by headlines and polls. Um, if the polls are saying something great about him, he's all over it. If the polls are saying something bad about him, he either ignores them or he basically twists them to basically say what he wants them to say. So when you're trying to basically build a policy with a mindset like the one I just described, it is not too difficult to understand that, you know, people outside the United States, and I would even go so far as a good number of people inside the United States are scratching their head saying, you know, what, what, what does this mean? So you, you, you basically made, made building a border wall the flagship policy of your presidential campaign, and now you're not looking at moving forward with it. 
you basically said on your first day you were going to label China a currency manipulator. And then when you meet with the president of China, you have a great meal at a golf course and you, you, you revel over, the, over, the, over the, uh, the, the, uh, the deliciousness of a chocolate cake. You go on and on and on and on. But the fact of the matter is, as long as the mindset uh, that is making policy and coming up with things is of the light that, or the oak that I just described, none of this will, will, will change. So survive, well, you know, honestly, uh, I think in the terms that I think you mean survive, if this goes on and this continues, I think the, mid, the night of the midterm elections in a little over 18 months from now are going to be almost as exciting as watching the, the, the night of the presidential um, election. Nobody's going to know what's going to happen. Wow. Alan Moore. So, so, Ken, so Ken, do you think that the, that the president made a mistake in changing his mind about labeling China a currency manipulator? I think that the president, uh, I think that the president changed his mind, period. I don't think that he, he, he understood exactly what a currency manipulator was or what the real deal between the U.S. and China was. And so to basically make that statement part of his campaign was a misstep. And so do I think him changing his mind was a mistake? No, I think him coming out with that as, as a is, is it part of his policy uh, without understanding what the hell he was talking about was the mistake? Alan Moore, maybe good, you can. Good. No, no, I, 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 I wanted. It, it seems that you were suggesting that after, after a nice dinner with uh, the Chinese uh, president, he simply uh, changed his mind, as opposed to getting himself informed and understanding what currency manipulation is, and the fact that most experts believe that they have not manipulated for about two years. Everybody stop for a second because now we're getting into the foreign stuff and I'm, we're going to do that after the break. No, we'll talk no, about Justin, Justin, if I may, uh, yeah. so I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to beleaguer, beleaguer the, the foreign stuff. What I'm trying to say here is that part of the problem that, that, the, that the Trump administration has is that they are not building out policy, domestic or foreign, based on anything else other than how someone feels about what they see in the, in the headlines, what they see in the polls, and what reaction they can get from a, from a tweet. That's the problem. And, and so that, that ill affects everything. Yeah. Alan Moore, let me go to you, because maybe you can explain this to me. It seems to me that we are in almost a political twilight zone. We have a president in his first 100 days at the lowest point at this stage in an administration since they started keeping record of these polls. Uh, yet at the same time, when you poll people who voted for Trump, 96% of them would say that they would vote for Trump again. At a time yep. where, you, where you have question, where you, at a time where you have an administration that goes on Twitter and starts tweeting out and starts you know, this legislation by tweeting, you get a Donald Trump that makes a smart decision with something like a putting a conservative justice on the Supreme Court in Justice Gorsuch. Where is the dy- and, and oh, by the way, at the same time where you see these low numbers and a low disapproval rating, Wall Street continues to tick up. Explain to me this bizarre 
political twilight zone we have. <laughs> I, I, I don't begin to understand it, but I, but I am fascinated by the fact, as, as I think you are, that, that 96% of those who voted for him don't have any regrets and would do it again. I'm even more fascinated that in that same poll that showed these, this historic low approval, meaning historically winners of presidential elections get a bump and the independents who didn't vote for, uh, for them and some of the opposition party who didn't vote for them, you know, feel okay about him and they sort of approve of what he's doing. It, it doesn't mean they would vote for him again, but they approve of what he's doing. That is not happening with President Trump. But what was, interest, what was additionally interesting to me in that same poll was people were asked, if you could do it over again and vote for Trump or Clinton, who would you vote for? And Trump won, 43 yeah. to 40. There's a lot, there were a lot of undecideds there, but that was fascinating to me and a reminder of that huge dynamic in that election of how much negative feelings towards Hillary Clinton influenced the outcome and that linger and that linger the rest of it beats the hell out of me. I've never seen anything like it. Um, and, and I, (laughs) I wish the guy wouldn't just feel like he had to speak out on every subject. I wish he wasn't. So even now, uh, a slave to the polls, to conversations on cable TV, to comments about him, but he's not as bad as he used to be. Now that's that's damning with faint praise, arguably, wow. but it's movement. It's movement in the in the in the only direction that's potentially helpful to the country. Wow. Well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break here. Uh, I'm still wow. Um, one of the one of the things I do want to say though is, if there is any way, I think part of Trump's biggest problem is if he doesn't this, listen to our show. Well, no, we don't want him to listen to the show. His problem is, is he listens to too many other shows. This is executive governance by twenty four hour news channel. The guy is so concerned. Yeah, but about, he he himself says he's not listening to uh, nearly as much as he used to. Oh, oh, great! <laughs> that's like again, that's like fine, half, half, half empty. Do you wish? Do you wish he was listening to more? Come on. No, true. Good point. Good point. Thankful for that. But and somebody please cancel his Twitter account for the love of God. Good grief! That gets him into more trouble. I.e., the problem we're going to have with the Canadians, and we'll bring that up here in the next segment when we come back. We're going to talk about. The presidential first hundred days when it comes to the foreign agenda and how this is working out for America and the administration. This is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio, remote broadcast. We will be back in three minutes. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics. Live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us.
politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio, remote session, as I am in the Lone Star state of Texas and everybody else inside the Beltway. But joining me as they do every Tuesday is Admiral Ken Carradine, Dan Lipner, and Undersecretary Alan Moore. Hey, uh, we were talking in the last segment that we kind of went over, but it's great discussion about the first 100 days of the domestic agenda for the Trump administration. For those who do not know, uh, this Saturday will mark the 100th day of the Trump administration in the White House, and it has been a roller coaster ride, to say the least. Uh, as we talk about the foreign agenda, you know, there is a constant slew of new news coming out, including one, we saw uh, uh, the, the word today that Ivanka Trump went to Germany to represent her father's interests uh, on a panel and was booed by the German audience in large part. Uh, Her response to that politics is politics. 
But on a more serious front, we're seeing uh, the tensions in North Korea just skyrocket as the North Korean military does a huge live fire exercise just off of the coast of that hermit country. But let's go back to the bigger topic. First 100 days on the foreign affairs and national security side. Uh, Alan Moore, I know you hate the question, but what golf score would you give (laughs) the Trump administration (laughs) on their foreign foreign agenda and the national security front? No, again, I'm going to... I'm going to uh, reject the uh, the desired uh, letter answer, but I will say that they're doing better on the foreign side than on the domestic side. Uh, they've got a stronger team. Uh, they've showed uh, uh, both some firmness of resolve, but also kind of moderated restraint. Um, even the uh, even the tough talk uh, has. Uh, Seems to have tempered a little bit. I'm guessing that's uh, the the influence of uh, uh, the national security advisor and his team, of uh, Secretary Mattis, uh, uh, even even uh, Secretary Tillerson, who's beginning to get his legs under him. It would appear. Um, let me ask and, a broader uh, question, Alan. Alan. Let me just jump yeah. in and ask a broader question here. I can't. You're cutting out on me. I, I I'm not hearing your question. Oh, I'm sorry. How important is Vice President Pence in all this on both domestic and foreign? So you know that's a thank you. That is a very important question. We haven't talked about him. Um, he is uh, when you when you think about it, um, one of the few people who has had a long – close to the president, who's had a long career in public service, who's been an uh, uh, elected official at the federal and the state level, um, who knows his way around town, who knows the processes, is basically thought to be a, a, a pretty good guy, competent and trustworthy. And he also operates – in the shadow, uh, which is where he belongs and where all of these advisors belong. It was one of Steve Bannon's big problems uh, uh, <laughs> with, with, uh, with the president, um, getting too much visibility and, and uh, appearing to enjoy it too much. Um, but, but I think Pence, uh, who's present in many, many meetings, um, is is playing uh, a significant and important role. And, but I don't know what it is. And, and, and that doesn't bother me either. Uh, But uh, uh, he's a, he's a key senior member uh, of of the advisory team who's independently elected to be vice president of the United States. Um, And that doesn't mean he can't be shut out like many vice presidents have over the, over history, but, but the president seems to like him and trust him and recognize that he needs him. Dan Lipner is, is in fact, Mike Pence, the adult in the room. Mike Pence may be the only adult in the room. Um, I mean, I'm hardly a Mike Pence fan, but 
in the context of this administration, I'm damn happy he's there. Um, everything from the knowing his ways around town to simply handling the office and some of the controversy with anything thing resembling grace. Um, going all the way back to the episode where he was, was addressed from the stage by the cast of Hamilton, he's at least addressed himself as a public servant should. So he deserves credit for that, especially in an administration which has failed pretty horrifically at that simple task. Well, Admiral Ken, when we, when we look at, uh, particularly on the foreign front, we look at those who are the active voices in helping drive the national security and foreign policies. We look at, obviously, Secretary of Defense Mattis, uh, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. Uh, we even include uh, National Security Advisor uh, General Mc, uh, McMaster, uh, even bringing in uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, Secretary Kelly. Is this a matter of that the president's foreign and national security agenda has been dictated by uh, those in the know, those who are trying to stave off disaster enough that they've prevented the president from getting himself into too much trouble? Yeah. Yeah. They're, this is a smart group of people. You also forgot Nikki Haley at the yeah. UN. Yeah, I should and, include her. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, in a nutshell, yeah, he, he for whatever reason, he is listening to these people. And with the exception of the little disconnect about uh, whether Iran was abiding by the treaty or not last week, yeah, I, I think that to the president's credit, he's listening to his national security staff. And while things, um, you know, are kind of, you know, um, I guess unsettled at home, um, we are at least presenting, um, I guess, to the world a, a set of professionals who, who really seem to understand what it goes into um, um, making sure the U.S. doesn't get too, too uh, extended too far out there. The real question is going to be how we handle uh, North Korea. Um, you know, as I said last week, um, this problem will do nothing but get worse. Um, if left left on its own, um, the um, the North Koreans have made a tremendous amount of success, uh, progress that is, in the in the last couple of years. I don't for one minute believe they're doing it all on their own. Um, I think the the belief that we're going to be able to put enough uh, pressure on China to uh, to get them to to have North Korea start to behave. Um, I think on the surface looks like a pretty good idea, but I don't think it's going to work. And at the end of the day, I think we're going to get presented with the, with, with, with the problem uh, that's much bigger than, than, than what we have right now, i.e. Uh, a nuclear uh, tip missile that has the ability to reach Alaska and, and California. Actually, can so, I follow up on that? There's a question I have that Ken so might sure. be able to address. So, so, but, but I, think, I think the national security staff to date, I think has done pretty good. I really do. Go ahead, Dan. Go ahead and ask the question. The the, the question I had, because it was one little blurb I caught, and I realized I'd never seen anything like it before, and that's the the naval vessel, the Michigan, which I'm sure Ken's ears picked up on, being a public statement of it being deployed to, that's right, Korea. Um, The Michigan is a a nuclear 
ballistic missile sub. And I'm, I don't know. Are we in the habit of announcing where those things are going? That no. seemed unusual to me. No, we are not. And the submariners don't like it when we do. Yeah, that that's 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 interesting rhetoric coming out of the Pentagon. I, I will agree with that. But let, let's go back to the to the bigger thing. You know, Alan Moore. When we look at the international relations, for example, this this administration has gotten challenged unlike any that I've really seen in recent memory, uh, you know, in my, at least in my 40 years of looking at all this. The, the question I have is, you know, when, when we look at, uh, when we look at the North Korean situation, when we look at Syria, two major points uh, of, of national security and foreign affairs uh, intrigue or, or challenges facing the administration, at the same time, we're, find, you know, we're finding the Russian problem. The Russian situation continues to haunt this administration. At the same time that a NATO partner in President uh, Erdogan in Turkey today was announced today that the Turkish military struck at Kurdish allies in Kurdish Syria and Iraq. Uh, is is there a breaking point that you see with this administration that they're just going to get overwhelmed or has president Trump really surrounded himself with the key staff to keep him in staving off disaster? Well, it's sort of two questions. I think you, you we, we've heard the heard comments and I certainly agree with them that, that he's got a, a pretty good group of people around him. It, it's interesting how early in this administration, whenever things went wrong, we, you know, there was a tendency to, uh, uh, to 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 blame Bannon, for example, or Steve Miller, and they certainly came in for well-deserved criticism. And at the time, I was saying, "Hey, I'm not defending these guys, but ultimately, it's the top person. You can't blame stuff on staff." Um, when you give credit, which we were doing um, just moments ago on foreign affairs, it sounded like we were kind of giving credit to the to the uh, foreign affairs team. Uh, Mattis, McMaster, Tillerson, you know, we didn't mention uh, Pompeo and, and Coates and, and others uh, that, that, that helped make up a fairly strong team. And it was like we were giving credit to them. Remember, they work for the president. They come together, they talk, they provide options, they provide information. They prov- and it's, and it's always a matter of, of, of options. Uh, and, and you, you got to give some credit to the president not just to these people around him. You got to give credit to him for, for saying yes to these people. And then more to the point, um, giving them some, some space in which to operate and then listening to them. Um, and, and, uh, you know, we, (laughs) he's, he is also saying less provocative stuff with regard to foreign affairs. Not don't, don't, don't say what, he still can be plenty, <laughs> plenty provocative, but but he has showed a remarkable restraint. And and even when he when you talk about North Korea, he has talked um, about the importance of China and how much he likes the president of China, how well they got along, and um, and that he didn't name him a, conser- a currency manipulator because they're not now manipulating currency. He didn't go on to say they haven't been for two years, but because that didn't really fit fit his narrative, but he then said, but hey, where they're really, really, really important, 
is with North Korea. North Korea can't survive without China, and I, you know, I'm feeling uh, optimistic about uh, the the assistance that I think that that they can and will provide with when it when it comes to to North Korea because that's something that affects them, us, and the rest but, of the world. Right, but but Dan Lipner, you know, we hear the, the good side, and Alan's done a good job of demonstrating the good side of what we've seen. But at the same point, we're talking about an administration, even with the key foreign affairs advisors that he has in a Nikki Haley, a Rex Tillerson, et cetera. You know, just today, President Trump took a swipe at probably our most critical and and closest ally, Canada, by saying, quote, I'm not afraid of a trade war with Canada, unquote. We've ticked off our neighbors to the north. We're ticking off our neighbors to the south. Uh, the cold relationship with Angela Merkel is very relevant. Is, is, is there almost a, a double-sided coin to how the administration is dealing with foreign affairs, or is, is this literally trial by fire? It's mostly trial by fire. I mean, the administration has done things that are surprising on so many different fronts. Um, I'm sure there is some trade issue on something. There was something about softwood, which I honestly don't know enough about to talk soft, about intelligently. Softwood, the, the term is softwood timber and the tariffs okay. that the Americans are putting on Canadian softwood timber. I have no idea why we care about it. Uh, I, as somebody who's worked closely with the government in Ottawa, I can tell you, but I'm going to tell you offline, it'll put everybody else to sleep. Because we build houses with it. We build a lot of houses with it. Well, there's, there's a bigger thank, problem. We thank thank you, Ken. Yeah, I can talk on this trade issue when you're ready. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> that, take that said, it seems like an odd way to start dealing with yet another trade issue, especially since the Prime Minister of Canada has already said he's open to to renegotiating parts of NAFTA. Why pick this fight other than Trump doesn't know what else to do when he doesn't have something else meaningful to say other than lash out against somebody. And that's what he does consistently. Um, I mean, the nice, Hill report- nice try, Dan, but you're, you're, expo- exp- you're, you're exposing your own ignorance on this. So you might want to just back off a little on softwood lumber. Uh, as, as I said, but the, the White House lashing out on it, what's the, why do it, why handle the issue like that? Well, I mean, I, this is more well, politics not, than substance. Well, my, my there's a politics. difference, there's a difference between the issue and its 10-year history or longer and what the White House said about it. The president, again, he wants to inject himself to, to show some level of toughness, and he comes off as, as kind of bullying the issue is a very big issue. There, yeah, and there, I, I'm not well, denying it's not a big issue. I, I, and, and again, I'm, well, I admit, no, you are because you said I, you had no I, idea I, what I, it was before. So I am, I, I am deferring entirely on that. My question is, and this is essentially you're agreeing with, is is the president approach to handling it? It it does not seem like something that has risen to the level of a presidential statement just yet, especially since the Canadians seem open to talking. Why let me, have let me the president make a statement like that? It is not let a me jump in. communication Hold on, hold on. Process. Let me jump in real quick. Dan, let me jump in real quick. I mean, the, first of all, the, the, the Canadian timber issue has been an issue going on 
for the better part of at least 15 years. It has been a delicate talking point between Ottawa and Washington. It's not that it's not a big deal. It is a very big deal, particularly if you talk to the folks in Ottawa and the Canadian, in the Canadian legislature and the Canadian government. But it seems to me, that, and that is always a subject that has been dealt with between the Canadian Embassy here in Washington and the White House and the Department of Commerce. It has also been an issue that has been dealt with by the U.S. Embassy up in the Department of Commerce representatives up at the Embassy in Ottawa and Parliament Hill. Uh, Alan, you know the sensitivity of it. Does it make sense that the president would come out with such uh, an inflammatory statement, ticking off our best friend, saying, hey, I'm not afraid of a trade war with Canada? Does it make sense? It, 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 that part of it does not make sense. That's gratuitous and not particularly helpful on the one hand. On the other hand, our allies, just like the rest of us in America, are becoming a little bit numbed to this. Whether that's a good thing or not, who knows, but we're kind of getting used to him uh, taking advantage of a moment, uh, exaggerating. In this case, it's, he's complained about NAFTA in the past. We're going to get tough uh, on on uh, on our trading partners. And then here's an example that comes to him and somebody says, hey, here's a couple of talking points. And then he he, he makes a talking point, which is just not helpful and and not well informed. Let me just say a word about the way these trade things work. When a U.S. industry sector believes that, that, that it is finding itself in competition with a foreign producer and uh, that where the foreign producer is cheating by U.S. rules, it is typically governmental sub, government subsidies of a particular industry. Chinese steel is a very big and good example um, uh, where the Chinese have historically kind of subsidized their steelmakers when they didn't have sufficient domestic demand, they would the, the, the official term actually is dump. Uh, they would dump on America at subsidized rates, uh, disadvantaging U.S. producers. For many, many years, uh, American timber producers who either raise timber on private land or pay significant uh, fees to the government to harvest uh, U.S. government uh, land uh, uh, timber – um, have said the Canadians basically violate our rules. They subsidize all of their softwood timber, Dan, is typically the pine that goes into every house you ever built or every building. All that lumber that you see at, right. at Home Depot or anywhere else, that's softwood timber. There's a, just an, a god-awful enormous amount, and I think it's $5 billion or so worth every year from Canada and the U.S. producers say we can't compete with them because they're basically uh, subsidizing and violating the, the uh, rules of, of, of international trade. And right. this issue is all goes to the Commerce Department, and the commerce experts do an analysis of whether there's both whether, whether there's actually dumping going on uh, that, right. that violates our rules. Then it goes to the uh, inter, uh, the Court of, uh, of International Trade, which has to decide if there's harm, injury, if you will, to the U.S. producer. So it's a two-step right. process. But, but I don't want to, Alan, I don't want to get too deep into that because I understand what you're saying, and, I, and, and that is a great description. But, you know, we, we've, the U.S. has had the same problem 
whether it was Chinese steel, as you brought up, whether it was Canadian softwood timber, whether it was uh, shipbuilding overseas or even commercial shipping into the U.S. This has been a huge point, and it's also involved our key allies like the Koreans, like the Japanese, like the Canadians, the Mexicans. It has included several of our allies, including our new ally in China. Why is it that President Trump would make it necessary to pick off our allies and yet start to cozy up to people like President Xi or President Putin? Well, it, it's a little bit of an apples and oranges thing. These 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 dumping cases mature in a, in a at a point of time, and that one obviously matured. And the Secretary of Commerce decided that um, that he would recommend the these sort of so-called countervailing duties. Uh, the president has to sign off on it. I don't think they rushed this. I don't think the president ordered this up. I think this just emerged um, uh, through the process. And then the president decided to sort of take some advantage of it of, hey, this is the kind of thing we're talking about. They're cheating. We're getting tough. And somebody says, might we start a trade war with Canada? He said, I'm not afraid of no trade war. So it's, it's kind of unnecessarily belligerent talk. It, but it, but this, this has all been in the making for, for years. It, it, I, I wouldn't draw any conclusion from, from it in terms of impact on what's going on with other countries, because this has taken years of analysis by experts at the Commerce Department, and we're not done yet. We're not done yet. This is just a, a, a very important milestone, but it still has to go to uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the ITC, the International Trade right. Commission, um, to, de- to decide if injury occurred. So he's taken advantage of something he's using his his exaggerated rhetoric which i don't particularly like but what's happening is that i and others are sort of discounting it because there's not a lot behind it that's right. not a great thing for a us president it's something that i think uh uh he's either going to have to modify or it's really going to burn him down the road dan dan Lipner, you know that problem aside there still seems to be other troubles that we have, even within our discussions with NATO. We've seen flip-flops on NATO. We've seen uh, very odd interactions with our NATO partners. We've seen very odd interactions with some of our other key allies. I mean, the, the relationship between Angela Merkel and, uh, and, and, and the White House and Donald Trump is, is palatable poor. Can... Can America sustain the rhetoric versus the reality and keep our allies as close when we need them? That's the question. I mean, Merkel is still in a tough position, though, better than she once was, but still a challenging position in the EU. Uh, France's upcoming election, none of the major parties won, so you now have a centrist and a and a far right winger um, up for the presidency of France. And while it seems unlikely and that's a big knock on wood from all of us who made predictions about the last American presidential election, um, that the moderates are going to win in France. But if that doesn't happen, 
um, the EU experiment could fly apart with not only a Brexit, but a Frexit um, with France leaving. Um, the idea of needlessly tossing gas on these, on these global issues, um, I don't see what the positive side is on almost anything that this White House is doing on, on foreign policy. Even it's one um, item that I agreed with, it's, it's an initial response to the chemical weapons use in Syria. There has been no meaningful follow-up as far as where the U.S. is in a coalition of partners to defeat ISIS, remove Assad, keep Assad. Where are we? There's been a slow uh, troop buildup in the Iraqi territories, and we have bombed of sorts in the area for what is what is ISIS. But beyond that, it's unclear where the where the U.S. is. Um, and there are some pretty serious and some pretty dangerous issues at play. If North Korea ends up going, literally going into flames, that's going to impact not just the Korean Peninsula, but it's going to affect global trade. And it might be nice to have some allies and partners along the way. Uh, this White House is not so much cultivating the friends, allies, and partners thing, but who knows? Like Alan said, we'll see what happens, but who knows? Admiral Kennedy. Yeah, I wouldn't be quite as harsh as Dan is. I think that that was the whole point of meeting with uh, the Chinese president and him uh, commenting on it afterwards. I think well, that was me, that was more about North Korea than about trade issues with China. But let me let me go to Admiral Ken real quick because Admiral Ken, you know, from a military standpoint, it seems that you know we've gotten ourselves into a quagmire where. We're, we're, we're seeing cooling relationships with our key allies, particularly our NATO allies, at a time when we need them desperately to help pick up the slack in places like, like, uh, like Syria, uh, dealing with the Kurdish question, uh, dealing with other issues in the region. It, 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 is, is this something that makes sense? From a military standpoint, are we playing with fire with our military allies? Well, I, I think I have to respectfully disagree with, with the premise of your question. I don't believe that um, in, the, in the last hundred days or so, you have seen us cooling off our relationship with NATO. If anything, I'd say in the last month or so, especially when you have the, uh, um, the, uh, the, the, NATO, the NATO minister here in town, um, he's really starting to dial that up. I think what he has done, uh, he, has, he has pivoted, for lack of a better way of saying it, from the rhetoric that he had on his campaign with regard to NATO, because he now understands that if we are going to make any headway in places like Syria or against eight, uh, organizations like ISIS, uh, if we're going to make any better headway in places like Afghanistan, we are going to rely heavily on, on NATO if we don't want to put U.S. troops in harm's way. All right, but Admiral Ken, let me Admiral Ken, let me just jump in real quick. I, I don't think the, my my question isn't so much focused on the relationship between uh, between Brussels and Washington. I think that there was a very productive meeting between the Secretary General of NATO and the President recently. I'm talking about the 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 relationship between Berlin and Washington, the relationship between uh, Ankara and Washington. 
those situations where, you know, we've seen really, really interesting dynamics occur between these heads of states. Even the situation with, uh, with uh, Prime Minister ben, Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel, the, 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 the odd dynamic between Tel Aviv and Washington, at a time when we really need them, does it make sense militarily that we're seeing these odd dynamics occur? Well, I think the only one that, for me, that stands out as you know is particularly odd or uncomfortable might be with uh, Angela Merkel in in, uh, in, in Germany. Um, I, I think you know probably um, you know that 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 visit that state visit that she made to the U.S. Uh, was was not going to be remembered as a banner moment in U.S. Uh, foreign relations history. Uh, that said, you know uh, I think possibly there was. So that was part of the calculus that they made when they sent Ivanka Trump over over there this week. Um, as for the rest of the uh, the allies, I think we're in probably better shape now with Israel than we were when President Obama was in office because in, uh, President Obama and Netanyahu just about you know two dog poop on each other's shoes, you know, and, uh, among uh, and other parts of their body. Um, you know, Turkey continues to be an interesting place because um, even after. Uh, Erdogan put down his his, uh, his his coup. President Obama called him congratulating on maintaining uh, democracy, only to see Erdogan lose his, lose his nut and, and start basically putting people in jail. Um, I don't think that anyone can say that we're doing anything better or worse with regard to Turkey than we should, because I think we're all kind of standing back trying to figure out what's going to happen there, whether this guy is going to turn himself into a dictator or not. I think his election win and I put the word election in quotes, last week probably moves him more toward becoming a dictator than, than, it, uh, it, it, than anything else. So, I, you know, I'm not prepared to, you know, to criticize or, or um, condone what, what the administration is doing in those, in those two places. But, you know, Germany, yeah, we've got some fences to mend there. And I, I'm not sure what the best course of action would be other than a full through apology. And we, that's just not going to happen. Yeah, but I mean, even the relationship. Let, with, let me add something. Yeah. I mean, but even the relationship with Theresa May has been. I've heard some call it awkward. Uh, Alan Moore, your take. Yeah, I wanted to just add something on 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 Germany because I, I, my take is is that it, things weren't nearly as bad as as uh, between the president and and. Uh, and on on Helen Merkel, as as is kind of conventionally believed, I, I was again reading in this uh, this long interview that the president did with the AP, where he he acknowledged that people accused him of not shaking hands with her, and he said that at the moment people talked about um, when they were sitting in the chairs, he said people were sort of whispering to him, shake her hand. He said I couldn't hear what they were saying, and we'd already shaken hands four times or more. Um, he thought they got along really well. And did he, didn't he? I don't know. Um, but but I don't, I, I'm not prepared to just dismiss his instinct. And as Ken pointed out, the invitation, the personal invitation from Merkel to Ivanka Trump to come to Berlin to participate in a G20 meeting uh, with uh, with women leaders from the G20 was huge. That was a very big deal. And what it strikes me as is that Merkel 
who is nobody's fool, sized up the situation with the president, who sat her daughter next to Merkel at one of the events, which the president took some criticism for, like, what are they doing? She's the president. She's the head of Germany. And, and, and what Merkel figured out was this guy is sending the signal that his daughter is really important. I want to cultivate her, get close to her. She seems open, smart, inquisitive, and close to her father. This is a second avenue in, uh, into him and his thinking. I'm going to cultivate that, and she's doing that. So where does it all lead? I don't know. But these are all things that take time. And so I, I think that, that, uh, that the, the, the supposed disastrous meeting with Merkel when she was here was not nearly as disastrous and that relations are not as screwed up as there's some conventional wisdom around. And watch this Merkel-Trump uh, uh, relationship evolve. With regard to the meeting yesterday where it said the headlines were all crowd boos and hisses Ivanka Trump. Well, I thought that's weird because it's kind of a select crowd. And I and then I read more about it. I listened and watched the tapes of the meetings themselves. There was some tutuing and 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 kind of a, a quiet murmuring, a, a moan or hiss. There was not booing and hissing. Uh, certainly not for my take. And if you looked at the articles and read the, the content of the articles, it said there was sort of this reaction of a handful of people that was how I saw it when I listened back to it, when she said, my father has a long history of caring about families and being supportive of women. And that's what, you know, created a few little uh, uh, moan, but not boos and hisses as some lazy uh, uh, headline writers wrote. So I, I'm guessing that this was a really important uh, relationship builder between not only Ivanka Trump and Angela Merkel, but something very helpful to the U.S. and German relationship. Uh, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Uh, Dan Lipner, let me go to you. Um, you. You know, we saw the results of the French election. Uh, a lot of people in the far right, a lot of people felt that uh, the French nationalist uh, candidate Le Pen uh, would have taken advantage of a truly nationalistic feel going on throughout France, particularly with the amount of uh, terrorism that has faced that nation. And yet it was the centrist Macron who uh, ended up taking, uh, beating Le Pen by three points. Now they have a runoff on May 7th, but the reality is, are we seeing a point where the nationalistic America first idea that Trump won with and which he's, which he has promoted in some instances, not only during his campaign, but through his presidency, it, has it taken an effect and kind of sullied some of our foreign partners as to maybe that's not the right approach we need to take as we saw maybe with, uh, the uh, second place finish of Marie Le Pen? Um, there's a lot going on in that question. Uh, <laughs> so 
let me go with the nationalism is on the on the rise everywhere. Um, everything from the Philippines to here to in France, in England, uh, or I should say in the UK, but England is probably more accurate since some of the UK did not agree with what the English agree with. Um, as well as, as we mentioned in Turkey, um, it is something that is happening in a lot of places. Uh, arguably, it's also happening in Russia, but it's unclear whether or not that's a new thing or an old thing. Um, since we don't have as don't have the open society there for as long. Um, it, it's 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 one of these things that has happened in global history, and we are a part of that wave. Um, the only pe- people that have noteworthy pushed up against it in recent elections, I believe is the Dutch, um, as a bigger world power as they are. Um, so what to do and what to say as far as our place in that, I mean, nationalist leaders tend to get along with each other until they really don't. Um, in which case things get really nasty really quick, but when they're getting along, they're sort of getting along. So it's hard to say where we're at play with any of that. Alan Moore, I mean, does the Macron, uh, I don't want to call it win, but him taking the top spot, getting ready for the runoff in May, uh, has the America first kind of bled out or the nationalistic feel in France kind of bled out that they're actually now might be seeking a more moderate voice to lead them? Well, you know it's interesting. You look at you look at the two the the two people involved in the runoff, and they are um, the com- in combination Donald Trump, an outsider <laughs> who'd never held elective office before, and this right wing nationalist. And they now in the case of of, of Macron the 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 outsider who wasn't who didn't even represent uh, an established political party. Um, one could argue there was more peril, some uncomfortable parallels even there with Trump, but we won't go into that. Um, the the uh, they the the two parties that have uh, held the leadership of France for. I think since de Gaulle have been shut out even from the runoff and most of the outside other parties are rallying around Macron. They, they are so fearful of the, the xenophobic nationalism uh, of Le Pen uh, who does have experience in politics um, uh, she just happens to have the nationalistic view. That's why I sort of say it's this bizarre combination. Um, uh, that that uh, I think that I, I'm thinking that that the nationalists are probably close to their high water mark. They've only got a couple of members of uh, 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 of, of of members of the legislature in in France. It's just a, it, it's the it's the strangest. Uh, the kind of an outcome that you've seen, and you're going to see three or four parties um, uh, rallying around uh, Macron, holding their noses, not 
thinking that he's the answer, but that he's so superior to Le Pen that, uh, uh, that I'm guessing, and I think the world markets have, have responded with a great sigh of relief that with, with those two facing off in, the, in, the, uh, in May, uh, Macron is almost certain, almost certain, to, to prevail, providing a great, a great deal of comfort. Now, I, trying to, to draw conclusions about a Donald Trump and, a, and, and, and Le Pen is really hard because Trump's rhetoric is very exaggerated, but his politics are remarkably, as we're learning, flexible. I don't see Le Pen and her history with that party of having that kind of flexibility. It's nationalism that's unyielding, where uh, President Trump seems to be, uh, as we're learning, remarkably flexible on any manner of things. Um, in the case of people who hate Trump, they they don't know what to say because they're glad that he's flexible on some of these issues, but they still want to hate him. So, well, governing and um, campaigning are different things, and and I'm assuming you would agree that the Trump campaign was absolutely nationalistic up until his inauguration, explicitly stating America first. Well, yeah, I, you know, the, the America first part <laughs> it amuses me because because I don't think you will find a presidential candidate in in our history who would not have said if in answer to the question, do you put America first? They would have said yes. Right, but you can't possibly compare that no, to no, an no, inaugural no, no, address. No, 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 no. Alan, Alan, it's a wait, label. Wait, wait, you're, wait, you're wait, using wait, wait, the label. Wait, 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 wait. That is something. Next. No, no, no. That is something, Alan Moore, that is something that Trump, that is a term that Trump has used from almost the beginning. The Make America Great Again, the America First yep. Agenda. That is straight out of yep. Trump textbook. I agree. But all I'm saying is that the phrase itself, it's sort of this convenient label from a guy who was a Democrat most of his life, who had very liberal views on a, on a host of issues, um, particularly social issues, um, started using the phrase. But he, and he hasn't abandoned the phrase, he's just abandoned some of his early positions um, that that we initially associated with America first when he decided that, eh, never mind. So, you know, and well, that's the contrast of drawing between the campaigning, uh, the contrast of campaigning and governing and the similarity of campaigning is with, without question there between Trump and other nationalist well, folks around okay, the planet. Let me, let me, let me, we're going to, we're going to continue this dialogue in another show. Obviously there is so much going on. This is a great discussion. But we cannot go forward without talking about the situation in North Korea. Um, for those who do not know, uh, the, the situation in the Korean Peninsula continues to become ever more tense. Uh, the North Korean military today uh, conducted wide-scale live-fire artillery and military weapon exercises uh, inside that nation. Uh, the head of that nation, one Kim Jong-un, uh, has stated that, in fact, he has the capacity and will sink the Carl Vincennes and its battle group uh, 
should they come into the region to defend South Korea. Uh, the rhetoric is continuing to build. It does not look like that this is going to come to any resolution anytime soon. But the concern right now is the, this meeting that is happening at the White House in a impromptu skiff in the old executive building. All 100 senators seated in Congress have been invited to the old executive building in a modified skiff situation for a briefing on North Korea. <clears throat> there are some that feel that this is a sign that the president may be seeking a green light for preemptive action against this rogue nation. Admiral Ken, uh, first of all, you know, we, we've heard the rhetoric. We, 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 we've seen the live fire. We've seen the missiles on display as they celebrated the 105th anniversary of Kim Jong-un's grandfather. Uh, when we see tensions getting this big, how real is military conflict right now on the Korean Peninsula? Uh, so, with, yeah, uh, so with with regard to um, the rhetoric, um, I, I will just say this: um, if, if you follow my tweet. Uh, this week, when uh, when Kim Jong Un announced that he was going to go after the Carl Benson, my response was, you, you know, uh, bring a lunch. No, don't bring a lunch. You won't have time for it. Bring a snack instead. Um, I think the the possibility of conflict in the Korean Peninsula uh, is, is real, and it's been real since the cessation of hostilities. Um, you know, back in the '90s. Uh, there was so much uh, tension going on between the North and the South. The U.S. had to try and keep the South from going North versus having to worry about the North, the North coming South. Um, so I think that the, you know, to, for any, anyone to believe that the Korean War is, quote, over, uh, that is an overstatement. It has been a cessation of hostilities now for over 50 years. Uh, if you've never had the occasion to visit the demilitarized uh, zone, it is a surreal place. Uh, just bizarre by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so I think that the possibility of, of, of conflict in the Korean Peninsula has never gone away. Uh, do I think it is more likely now than ever before? Uh, not so much. I, you know, I'm not, I mean, I, I've seen this before. I mean, I, I haven't seen anything yet to make me start worrying about, um, you know, what, what's going to be in the news tomorrow. Maybe that's just um, you know, the fact that I, 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 you know, I, I've done a, a number of exercises over there. Uh, I was at one point quite adept in understanding uh, the politics of the situation. Um, you know, obviously I've been away from it for a few years. But again, uh, I'm not, you know, sitting on the edge of my seat right now uh, trying to figure out what, what's going to happen next. And I, and I haven't seen anything to make me think that. Now, again, as I said a few moments ago, um, the problem with North Korea their ability uh, to field and, and deliver a nuclear weapon to the United States uh, has not been something that other presidents have had to deal with. This is a new challenge. It will be very interesting to see what we do about it. Uh, I would not take military action off the table. Um, but then again, I will say this, in every exercise I've ever been a part of, um, the, the, we won, but South Korea, as it exists, became non-existent. Well, Alan Moore, let me let me ask you: 
in your experience as senior Senate staff uh, and also somebody who's working in the administration, what signal does what message does this signal that the president is calling in all senators for a North Korea briefing this week? It's hard because it's so unprecedented. The normal way, by the way, is you get a hundred senators up in the up up in the Senate where there's a special room where they can have these these unique briefings. Um, if they've decided to do it this way, maybe because they it, the logical conclusion is this one is special. The president will be in attendance. His senior people will be in attendance. Um, it, it's not the kind of situation where he would be asking for support or certainly not asking for permission or anything like that, but more giving an update. Here's what we're dealing with. Um, here are some possible scenarios that could play out. Here's why we know that. Um, we felt that it was important for all of you to know. Um, and uh, it, it's, it does smack smack is the not a good word that it 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 has the feeling of something a little different um a little more ominous but i don't want to speculate on uh, on what that might be um and and i and i could be wrong it may just be their way of saying hey we want the 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 senate to to come together and maybe and i they all won't show up uh i don't i can't imagine but you never know um uh, and uh, uh, it, it, does, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't make me <laughs> feel uh, calm and comfortable uh, because it is uh, so unusual. I, I don't think we're on the brink of, of an attack, but uh, there does seem to be some, something that they feel an urgency to, to communicate. Uh, it was called just a couple of days ago. It's at the White House. Those things uh, are both kind of unusual, uh, and, um, they, and and there could be there could be an address to the country uh, within a couple of days too, if it if it is ominous. Alan, or Admiral Ken and Daniel, I want to come back to you, but Admiral Ken, the the fear is that the administration might be looking at a preemptive strike, particularly on weapons development sites and strategic missile uh, arsenals in the northern part of the peninsula. The the question now becomes is, you know, does, you know, with the success that many are saying we had with the Moab, the mother of all bombs in in eastern Afghanistan and and the strategic strike on ISIS, some are saying that, you know, this kind of lit a fuse, for lack of a better term, and saying, hey, why don't we do this on their weapons development sites? And why don't we – are they are they playing with fire if that is a consideration? Or is that the smart move without using conventional forces and in moving into the north? I, I have no doubt in my mind, and, and I, would take, I would take money, everything I've got to Vegas on this. You drop a Moab on anything inside of North Korea, what you're going to get back – is everything. I, 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 you know, I would, I bet on that. You're going to get everything that they've got coming back. Say, say that not, again, Ken. Ken say that again. Is, 
see, what my, my belief is that if we drop one bomb, one bomb anywhere in North Korea, the full, the full capacity of the North Korean military will be, will be uh, delivered on the, North, uh, to, on the South Korea. I agree with Ken. As do really? I. I think Ken is absolutely correct. And I'll, I'll take the, to just add one item of disagreement I have with Alan on this. The president's rhetoric on North Korea, while occasionally stable, there is also the undertone of we want to resolve this once and for all. Um, Not as though every president since Eisenhower didn't want to try it and this once and for all, um, that not realizing that the delicate tension uh, that is sitting on a hair trigger between North Korea and the West um, has built up over time with lots of really smart, really engaged people trying to come up with a resolution. And this tense situation has simply been what occurred. And a President Trump, for all of his divine power, does not have the ability to just will this away. And that's the, that's the part that makes me the most nervous. Um, I agree that the, the meeting that's happening uh, in the White House, somewhat unprecedented, um, it does not calm me much. It, I, I take one moment of solace of seeing the White House consulting with Congress on something meaningful involving the entire con- country, but uh, it, it, it doesn't fill me with joy. So I, I also heard, I heard this morning a report that the Chinese have moved some mechanized units uh, closer to the North Korea border. And the significance of that is, if it's true, um, that mechanized units mean units that are, that are on the move and able to move. And, uh, and it, it could conceivably be uh, something to send a signal to the Koreans like, Hey guys, don't, do something stupid here because if you do, we will come over um, uh, or whether it's some periodic uh, exercise, but the region is paying attention. And we say that the U S has got to be talking to allies. I, I think that it in the president, uh, the, the, the security council, the UN security council meeting that he hosted uh, uh, yesterday, I think uh, North Korea was the main subject. So and, and um, I, would add, I would add, there's one other alternative to that, Alan, and that's the fact that the, the, the Chinese are, are very, very fearful of uh, what they saw happen when the, the Iron Curtain fell in Europe. That uh, in the event that South, South, and the North go into armed conflict, they are going to get flooded with uh, a multitude of of, uh, of refugees. The Chinese do yeah. not want that. And so those mechanized yeah. units, along with 150,000 troops that they deployed a couple of weeks ago, would be in place to prevent, the, uh, prevent uh, them getting a whole bunch of new uh, North Korean immigrants. Well, Alan Moore and, and Admiral Ken, I, w- I want your take on this. In talking to that, that are, are somewhat close to the situation, there's a mindset going that, uh, that the president and uh, Chinese President Xi had the discussion that President Xi had advised President Trump to give us a couple of weeks, 
and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, give us a couple of weeks to see if we can voice reason with Pyongyang and that the movement of the Chinese artillery to the border is, in fact, a two-way signal, one telling Pyongyang, hey, you're alone on this one, and the other to signal to Washington that, hey, we've tried everything we can. We're just bracing up to protect our own interests. Is there some accuracy to that? Let me start with you, Admiral Ken, and then you, uh, uh, Alan Moore. You know, I, I, I think that um, absent any direct reports, um, you know, and I, mean, I mean tapes and transcripts of what went on between those two, everything else is just conjecture. Um, I think that because we have um, not the best a level of knowledge in a lot of things, sometimes things can sometimes seem more simple than than, uh, than what they actually are. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the the, the, uh, the Alan Moore approach on that and say you know what I'm I'm uh, I'm probably not gonna make a comment that's 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 noteworthy on that. Alan Moore. Yeah, I, I think I think we've you know kind of discussed and speculated enough on on possible scenarios. What's on the Chinese mind? Um, you've just you've added another. Uh, alternative uh, to the to the mix. Um, it it's uh, it, it is interesting to that 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 the Chinese uh, uh, president said we need to be careful and calm and quiet here. Um, and uh, and the Chinese have already, as we've noted before, taken uh, some actions that are are challenging for the already very weak North Korean economy by saying they were going to reduce the coal shipments uh, from North Korea, which is a major source of, um, uh, of, of hard currency uh, for uh, the North Koreans. Um, And uh, uh, that is the, the North Korean lifeline. What we don't know and may not know ever, but not, not for a while is, to what extent in the past the Chinese might have been complicit in providing technology to the North Koreans, either on nuclear weapons or on, uh, on delivery systems. Um, there's a lot of speculation that, um, that, that they've, they've, they've got a, uh, a dirty history um, that the Chinese might now be regretting. Who knows? Who knows? It's just when you're dealing with a leader who is so unpredictable and so presumably and likely unstable. You can't assume anything. And that's why I think we were all in agreement when Ken said, if, if, if the U S were to take a preemptive action, we all believe that, that they would just unleash everything on the South, whether they've got a nuclear weapon or not. We, we've talked in the past about the, you know, the, the thousands of, uh, of, of munitions and smaller missiles that, could just be unloaded on the the uh, uh, the capital of Seoul, fifty miles away from the border. So th- that's why any kind of pre- preemptive strike just seems to make no sense uh, at all. Um, and and when we talk about the president and his team, don't ignore the fact or under uh, underplay the significance the significance of the fact that the president has specifically said, "I have." 
a lot of confidence in General Mattis and my team, and I have delegated an enormous amount of authority to them um, uh, to to make decisions in the field. That's important, and yeah. and I don't think those guys are are going to say, "Oh yeah, let's take out these ten sites." Um, but, that won't cause any repercussions. I will tell you that one of the one of the things that's got me a little nervous on this has been the and, and what's really got me a little bit tense about the situation on the Queen Peninsula is uh, the statement that President Xi made today in in the in one of the Chinese English one of the English written Chinese daily newspapers was the fact that if you know there's a lot of people that are gonna that are about to get hurt but the biggest brunt will be Pyongyang which almost sends a signal that we are real close to military action. Is, 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 is that an unreasonable assumption, Dan Lipner? Um, no, I mean, I don't have much else to say on it. It's not unreasonable at all. Well, with that, uh, we're coming up. We've got almost seven minutes left real quickly. Uh, Alan Moore, what didn't we cover? What didn't we cover? Um, <laughs> this is a good one. Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> Bill O'Reilly. Oh, that's O'Reilly. right. Happy and, trails to Bill and, O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. And and thank God we're not going to. Universe. Okay. Yeah, and we're not going to have to cover him anymore, right? So yeah, that's true. Uh, so <laughs> so no no uh, no tears no tears there, um, yeah. and uh, we. We did not discuss the, uh, the the wave of political correctness that continues to wash over the colleges and universities. One of the more interesting ones uh, that I just uh, read about the other day was Harvard University now has said that any male, any man, this is a <laughs> this is gender specific. Um, uh, any any uh, any any man. Uh, who is a member of an off-campus, unrelated to the uh, university, males-only society is automatically disqualified for uh, several major scholarships, like Rhodes Scholarships, that where the university plays a role in the selection process. So we've now we've. <laughs> We've now at an institution like like Harvard. Um, uh, you can't be a Boy Scout. Gone to this. <laughs> you probably couldn't be a Boy Scout leader. Um, hopefully, you would. That that would be what you would be doing um, if you were a, if you were a student. Um, oh, if, I if, if, if it's, so basically, you can't be a Freemason. Oh, bring it. Who would want to be? It, oh, I will deal with that. I will deal with that off the air, Alan Moore. I will deal with that off I, the air, Alan Moore. I, well, Alan, I thought that might get your attention. Dan Lipner, what did we cover this week? Four minutes left. Uh, let's see. The Trump administration officially has a Secretary of Agriculture, um, and still oh, has man. another. 470 uh, Senate confirmable seats to go through and even make nominations for. Yeah. Hey, uh, also breaking news that we didn't cover today, but federal court judge has thrown out the Trump uh, executive order 
and or block the Trump executive order blocking funding uh, to sanctuary cities. That breaking news. That will be my what didn't we cover. Uh, Admiral Ken, last word. What didn't we cover this week? I am one chapter into Shattered, the book yes. just released by our friend John Allen. It is outstanding. I am riveted. If they don't turn this into a movie like Game Change, he's getting cheated. This is great stuff. No matter which party you're in, this is good. And when they right. do change it into a movie, John, all the drinks are on you next time we see you. <laughs> and wait, but wait, I already saw that movie. It, what was it called? It was called The Election of 2016. <laughs> And by the way, we couldn't, we couldn't, we can't get out of here without saying, hey, congratulations to our friend uh, John Allen and his uh, co-author Amy Pinnell. Uh, great release, getting huge praises and a lot of good coverage on it. And there might be a chance. It is the number one bestseller in nonfiction on Amazon. There's talk it might be bestsellers list coming this weekend. Keep an eye on that. So then he's then two times. New York Times bestselling author John Allen, our friend from that Sidewire. would be great. What, I got one more item. One more item. What? Go quickly. A shout, Two minutes left. A, a, a shout out to my 94 year old mother in law in Evanston, Illinois. She turned 94 on Saturday, and she's a delightful, wonderful lady. She might even be listening in, but that's not why I'm saying this. I just wanted to share. <laughs> Happy birthday. Happy 94th birthday. That's amazing. Heck, I'll be lucky if I see 64. Hell, I'll be amazed if I hit 54. Anyway, with that being said, on behalf of the crew of the best political talk show you've never heard of, Admiral Ken Carradine, Dan Lipner, and Alan Moore, I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Uh, we will be back in some iteration next week uh, on Blog Talk Radio, live on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, but don't know where, but we'll talk about that next week. You can follow us as always on Twitter at Backroom Politics. You can follow our comments on Sidewire. Go to Sidewire.com or download the app from iTunes Store or Google Play. You can also email your considerations and your fan mail to Justin at BackroomPolitics.org. Have a great week, America. Keep an eye on politics. Stay involved, and we will see you next Tuesday. Have a great week, America. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Backroom Politics.